All right, so this morning we're going to continue talking about uh, the C4 principle applied. You can see on the screen here, uh, there are basically five, five basic themes within this section. We want to talk about the C4 applied to personal life, to parenting, which is family life, to pastoral care, which is church life, to leadership and management, which is about organizational behavior, the workplace, and finally civil government. Uh, the C4 principle has application in all of these, these jurisdictions. That may surprise you because we typically think of the C4 principle as a tool to help us find our vocational calling. It is that and more. And I want to help you understand how to see it more. So let's just start out talking about self-governance or the, the individual you know, sphere of authority where you have authority over yourself and the choices that you make. Well, how do you think about that? And how do you bring biblical understanding to that? Well, I think the way to approach this is to recognize you have been created by God for his purpose. He has a design. He has an intent. He has a will that he wants to execute through you. So I call that specific purpose, specifically why you're made and how you are made. Uh, some people talk about human engineering. I don't know if that's great terminology, but the idea is that God has designed you and he has crafted you, all the components that make you up, that is your personality, your your skill and ability, your circumstances, your the teams that you have part of, the relationships that you have, the affinities you have, the the opportunities, the the uh, the provision of all that you need to do what you're called to do. All of that God has orchestrated all of it, and He's redeemed you by the blood of the Lamb specifically for a work assignment in His meta narrative. So you've got to start by recognizing the intentionality of God and how he specifically created you. You cannot self-define. You cannot be whatever you want to be. You can only be and have favor being what you are called and created to do. So that's called the specific purpose. So that's the first level of purpose that you need to get to. If you can't think that strategically, then the rest of the what I'm getting ready to show you won't mean anything to you. Because there are levels of purpose, starting with the individual purpose of God in your life. The next level of purpose is organizational purpose. This encompasses families, the ecclesia, the workplace. These are all organizations, even your civil society. These are organizations on some level that you are part of. And you have to know that God has created and called you to be part of these, and the C4 principle will guide you to a degree in how to think about this. For example, families, when parents are raising children, they should be thinking about the call of God on their children and facilitating alignment with that calling. So that's how the principle helps parenting. In the ecclesia, we, the, the, the ecclesia should be guiding and directing us into alignment with the call of God holistically. Typically, sadly, what I see is most ecclesias will help people understand the call of God in the church, but not anything outside of the church. That's where we are very dualistic, and we have to repent of that and become holistic in how we approach this. Then workplace calling. 
we have largely given ourselves over to atheistic thinking when it comes to workplace calling. It's whatever you want to be, whatever you want to do. And we put the energy and focus on the, on the American dream. That's not the way scripture does it. The scripture indicates that Jesus is Lord of all holistically in every area of life. He is the caller. He is the definer of all reality. And he has a will for where you work, you know, exactly, you know, what the, the, details of what your work assignment are, who you will be under, what you are supposed to accomplish, everything. God is engaged in that. And you see, I've got a Psalm 78 up here just to illustrate how David, from his youth, was prepared to be a king. Throughout his life, he went through many phases of growth and maturity, but it was all aligning him with his C4 calling. This is the way God works. He works holistically. He works multi-generationally, multi-jurisdictionally. This is the God that we serve. The, the third level of calling that I think is really important to understand is generational calling or generational purpose. Uh, this is probably one of the hardest ones to see because we're not used to thinking multi-generationally. We're used to thinking single generationally. What's in it for me? Well, we might think about, well, what's in it for my kids? But that's pretty much it. Now, we have to think much bigger than that. And until we can begin to see how we connect to the greater purposes of God generationally, we will be very limited in how we see purpose and how we are, are, we're guided by the purpose of God for our life. And finally, the highest level to me of purpose is metaphysical purpose. That is the meta-narrative. Being able to see the big picture that God is executing over the decades, over the centuries, over the millenniums, and recognizing what he's saying, what he's doing, and asking what role do we play in this? I hope those of you that have been around, Dennis, as I think all of you or most of you probably have been, and greatly appreciate what the message he carries, Dennis carries a message of the kingdom that's the most profound that I've heard from any theologian, and I have spent a good bit of my life reading theologies, not only of people that are deceased, but people who are alive, trying to understand how they see the kingdom of God. When I first was a young believer, I remember going to my second spiritual father, who was a theological professor at a seminary and asking him a question. I said, I've been reading through the gospels and I see all these references to the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And I asked, what, what is that? And he could not really give me a good answer. The best he could do is point me to the millennial kingdom mentioned in Revelation 20. But I, something was very dissatisfying with that. As much as I loved him and respected him, I never felt like that was a very good answer. And it wasn't until I met Dennis about 25 years later that I posed the question to him, and he actually could provide an answer that really challenged me and has stretched me, and has challenged me since I met him, and now that's been some 32 years ago. So I'm so grateful for what he has, what he's enabled me to see, and I realize that what he's been given to carry, in part, along with there are probably other men that are carrying this, but he's been given to carry it, which is an understanding of the gospel of the kingdom, 
an understanding of what what Jesus means when he talks about the kingdom of God. And when you start paying attention to what he says, like at the beginning of Acts, where he's talking about the kingdom of God. At the end of Acts, Paul is talking about the kingdom of God. Throughout Acts, there's references to the kingdom of God. So you see, it's much more profound than Revelations 20 reference to the millennial kingdom. There's something much deeper. And I think Dennis has got a level of revelation about that. And that's part of his contribution to the bigger purpose, the meta narrative purpose. Each of us, as in some sense, sons and daughters of Dennis, you know, are are called to carry something of this because we're related to him. It's no accident we're related to him and we are under him. There's something for us to see that's part of the bigger picture. So that's the stretch. Most of us, if we were pressed right now, a, what what's your role in the meta narrative? We'd probably be struggling to say something, but we need to begin to pray and ask the Lord for clarity. If you're struggling to understand generational purpose, pray and ask the Lord for clarity. If you're struggling to uh, learn organizational purpose, you know, press in. If you're struggling with specific purpose, get under somebody that can help you discover the C4 God's put into you. And when you discover that, these other levels of purpose will probably begin to crystallize in new ways at new levels. So the C4 principle is seminal to really understanding self-governance well. So let me talk about family governance. Now, this is a mind map, and I'm not going to go through this mind map, but I recently taught uh, a session I called Kingdom Parenting. And in that session, basically, I taught parenting from two worldviews. One was a humanistic worldview, and the other one is Christian. And I taught it based on first understanding the thinking of each, and then what the thinking drove in terms of the actions of each worldview, and then how those actions led to the results of each worldview. So at the bottom of the mind map, you see the results. Results here for humanistic parenting results here for kingdom parenting. The core of everything on the right side here, which has got the green, it's it's all about the Christian worldview. The core of that is the C4 principle. Using that principle to help you discover the call of God on your children and begin to prepare them and direct them to fulfill that call. Children living to fulfill their calling as identified by the C4 principle are the persons that are going to be kingdom people. They're the ones that God's going to use to do whatever else he's going to do in His in this meta-narrative to serve his purpose. So the core of proper parenting as a Christian comes back to the C4 principle, using that, applying that. I'm, saying, I'm not saying that's the only principle. I'm saying that is a seminal principle principle that you want to use to help direct your children into the call of God for their life. Now, that's what true parenting ought to be. Now, let me talk about the ecclesia government for a second. Uh, the ecclesia government today is largely, I'm mean, just going to give you a broad brush look at it. Uh, it's largely dualistic. It is not holistic. And I'm going to give you some examples of this. So I want to I want to look first at the Hebrews 10 text, which is the middle text here, and I want to read that to you and then explain to you 
what it's saying. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, some, but ne- encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, this is a text that it mandates something. This let us consider is actually an, an, a command. It's not an option. It's not suggestion. It is a command. We ought to meet together. We ought to come together to stir up. Some texts use the word agitate one another to two things, love and good works. Love means to sacrificially serve the purpose of God in another. Love is not an emotion. It's not acceptance or tolerance. It is alignment with God. That's what love is. And the second thing we do is is to stimulate one another to good works. Now, what is a good work? When you recognize that good is a divine attribute and it's different from the way that we use it today. And in a prior chapter, I talked about what good works what good works are. So I'm assuming you've read that chapter. You know what my definition is. So I'm just going to remind you again. A good work is a work aligned with the will and ways of God done in the time of God for the glory of God. That's what it means. It means you've aligned with God. So a good work is not something you define as good. It can only be defined by God as good. So you cannot go and just do anything you think might be benevolent and expect that to be considered a good work. In fact, we are to come together to be very discriminating to talk about not what we could do, but what we should do. The shoulds of our life are the good works God has called you to do. Now, there are two words in the Greek language, which was the language of the New Testament, that are translated good. The first one is the word agathos, and agathos refers to internal goodness. The second one is kalos, that refers to the fruit of internal goodness. Now, in Hebrews 10, if, you'll, if you can read a little Greek here, you will see I put in the, uh, in the slide here, kalos ergon, because that's what's in that text. It's an emphasis on the manifestation of works aligned with the will and ways of God. So that's what we're supposed to be doing. We, c- we should be coming together to specifically try to help people you know, align with the purpose of God, find their call, prepare to do that call and execute that call. Now I, in my travels, which I, this is all anecdotal now, but in my travels and wherever I've gone, and it didn't matter what continent it's been, what local church it was, I've never seen or even heard of a Christian community that had meetings like this. Their meetings almost always are evangelistic in nature. This meeting cannot be evangelistic. It has to be the true ecclesia only because you don't, you've got to have people that understand and know the Lord that has discernment about how to recognize who, what a person C4 is and what God might be calling you to do and willing to tell you the truth, even when you don't want to hear the truth. That's what it means. To love is to tell you the truth, whether you want to hear it or not, and to stir you to good works is to point you to align with God, whether you want to be aligned with him or not. 
that's that takes a very safe community to have those kind of conversations. We generally don't do that because we put all the emphasis on trying to get people to heaven thinking that's the whole deal. That's not what God's after. What God is after is transformed lives. And we have to learn to live with him, align with him to serve his purpose. That's challenging. This is a level of living that I haven't seen in local churches anywhere. And hopefully that's not condemnation. Hopefully that's conviction. Conviction that we, we've got to step it up. There's another level that we need to look at and really be prayerful about how do we do this? How do we really begin to use this principle in the body of Christ to help people align with God better? That is the way of the Lord. And by the way, the last verse I have listed here is Jesus's first comments on evangelism. Since evangelism has become so prominent in our thinking today, and we think evangelism is all about, you know, sharing our personal testimony with somebody. Well, Jesus explained what evangelism was supposed to be the way he intended it to be. And it's generally ignored. But let me just read it to you and just very quickly make a comment or two. He says to his disciples in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, in other words, he's using this imagery now about the lamp to illustrate how we're going to be light. Let your light shine before others. Now, we, we immediately think, well, my light is shining when I've shared my, my personal testimony with someone. Well, that's not what he says. Look what he says. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Kalos Ergon, the manifestation of internal goodness externally manifested. They see Christ in your works. They see God in your works, and they will give glory not to you, but to the Father. And that's how you were light. It has nothing to do with about you sharing your personal testimony. In fact, most likely, if that's your focus, you're not going to be bearing good works. You will be in it all about you. What's in it for you? I want another notch in my gun belt. Somebody else has said the sinner's prayer. That's the mindset. That is not biblical thinking. So this, we've got to get back to biblical thinking, starting with understanding how we should be meeting and we're not meeting. And I'm not saying that what we're doing today is wrong. I'm saying it's incomplete. We, whatever we got going on today can be done well. It can be done in God-honoring way. It's not always done that way, but it can be. And we need to add to it this mandate of Hebrews 10 which is centered on understanding the C4 principle and living that out and encouraging the people in the body of Christ to do that. Sadly, what I see with most local churches when I present this to them is generally the way the leaders respond is they view this and say, this is really great, but it's advanced training. Most people can't handle it. Well, I would say to that, it is core training and it, it's mandatory for all real Christians. If you have a bunch of people you don't think are ready, there's probably because they aren't even real Christians. 
but you need to you need to support the real Christians in finding their call and fulfilling that call. We go on to the workplace uh, sphere now. In the workplace, I like to use the, the text in Ezekiel 34, verses 1 through 10, as a picture of what shepherding is. Because the workplace, which is led by leaders and managers, they are fundamentally shepherds of an organization that God has ordained. And they have responsibilities as shepherds. And I've listed seven that are found in this Ezekiel 34 text. And I just want to focus on the first one. And the criticism in Ezekiel 34 is how the shepherds of Israel failed to be the shepherds that God wanted them to be. So their first failure was they failed to lead the sheep into alignment with the will and ways of God. Hopefully you immediately recognize, wow, okay. So how we apply that now, that imagery of shepherding to to the workplace is we need to be utilizing people according to the will of God, according to the call of God. If you don't do that, what you're doing is abuse. You have no authority to use anybody inconsistent with the call of God in their life. And yet we do that daily in various, in every organization I've ever been in. It's the same thing. We, we do not think about the call of God first and foremost when we have a need in an organization. We think about, I need somebody could, that can do X and whatever X is. We're not asking, well, if we're properly discerning a need, then, then we know God funds his will, then we need to discern whose God is appointed to that assignment. So it's a totally different mindset than what we normally use. And that's because we don't think Christianly as managers and leaders as well as we should. And if we did think Christianly, we would be using this principle to guide our hiring decisions and populating our organizations with people who are called to be part of the organization, specifically assigned to the organization, so that in that organizational context, they will fulfill their purpose there, and they will help the organization fulfill its purpose. God is congruent. Organizational purpose aligns with, with, with individual purpose. So individuals fulfill their purpose, that helps organizations fulfill its purpose. That's powerful how God works when you can see it. Well, finally, just real quickly, I want to touch on the civil government, the fifth sphere of authority. And in civil government, you have um, you have something pretty amazing here. I mentioned to you the idea of the two words for good, agathos uh, and kalos. Agathos refers to internal goodness. Kalos refers to external expressions of internal goodness. Well, here in, in Romans uh, 13, you might think, well, if God's going to talk about good, he's going to talk about kalos, but he doesn't. He talks about agathos, internal goodness, which means transformation. Now, this is what we really don't see and don't get very well, that civil government is to be a tool of internal goodness. So I'm just going to pick it up here. Uh, Right, I'm going to right here. For rulers are not a terror. He's just talked about in the first couple of lines here that all authority comes from God. So it makes no sense to resist it, submit. He says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct. Agathos, Aragon. He doesn't say kalos. He says agathos, referring to internal goodness. But but rulers are a terror to those who have, whose conduct is bad, that it is inconsistent with a good heart. 
Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Authority is the word exousia, which means power of choice. You see, ultimately, when you talk about authority, you're talking about power of choice. Who has the power of choice? Who has the power of choice in your home? Well, your parents. Who has the power of choice in the workplace? Well, the leaders and managers. Who has the power of choice in the ecclesia? Well, the, the elders and whoever they, they appoint to help them. Who has power of choice in civil government? Well, ultimately, it, depending on the form of government, it's the senior leader. He's got the power of choice, and he will, he will delegate some of that power to others. So don't fear the one who has authority, because God has ultimately ordained him to have that power of choice. Therefore, do what is good. Agathos again, not kalos, but agathos. Do what's internally good, what aligns with the will and ways of God, the timing of God for the glory of God. That's how you think about that good. And you will receive his approval for he is a diakonia, diakonos. That's some people pronounce it that way. Diakonos means a servant. It's translated sometimes minister. Some countries of the world still use that terminology. They talk about government officials as ministers. They recognize this truth. They are servants of God. A diakonos is someone who is there to execute the commands of another. That's literally what the word means, to execute the commands of another. And in a Christian context, and in the context of this text, it's to execute the commands of God execute the commands of Christ. That's what he's supposed to do. And to Christ, to the Lord, these servants will give an account. Those of us underneath them, we don't have to worry about correcting them because God will do that. So civil government is all about getting us aligned with God. Alignment of God is what the C4 principle is all about. Recognize the intentionality of God in creating you. The government should be in supporting the purpose of God, the call of God on you with the context that they set, with the laws that are adopted, way those laws are enforced, and the culture, the decisions that they make should be facilitating alignment with God. This is where, again, the C4 principle is a powerful tool that should be guiding them as they're trying to guide you and support the call of God in you. So these are the these are just examples of how the C4 principle is applied jurisdictionally. Individually, in in families, in the ecclesia, local churches, in the workplace, and in civil government. In every context, the C4 principle should be used to facilitate, facilitate alignment with the will and ways of God done in the timing of God and all for the glory of God. There is no other proper way to live. So may we have grace to see that and may we have grace to do it obediently as unto the Lord in Jesus name. Amen.